Welcome to Changeable. This is episode number 260, my conversation with Rosmic on the Brand New Thought Podcast. You're tuned in to Changeable with Dr. Amy Johnson. Changeable Podcast is all about breaking habits, ending anxiety, and the ironic way change really works. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey there, welcome back to Changeable. In this episode, I'm sharing um, another episode from a different podcast on which I was a guest. It's called The Brand New Thought Podcast by Rosmik Sarkazian. I hope I'm saying that somewhat right. Um, I loved my conversation with Rosmik. And in fact, he's going to be a guest here on Changeable coming up in the next few weeks. Um, It was just good. It just covered a lot of ground. We kind of looked at some of the basics of of some of what I've been sharing here for several years now. And I feel like we also kind of pushed the edge on some things and maybe looked in some new directions. So I'm on a lot of podcasts and most of them, almost all of them are really, really good. But I don't always share them here on my show because I just feel like, I don't know, there's a lot of overlap or maybe, you know, you've heard me say these things a thousand times and and so it just doesn't feel right to share. But this one, I don't know, it just felt different. It felt a little newer, fresher, maybe an opportunity to hear some of this that you do hear a lot um, in a somewhat different way. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Rosmic. Really what happens in a super simplified way is we get really identified with the thinking. And we, and because it's a form, it's like compelling. It's about us. It's telling the story about me and my life and what I should do to be okay and all of that. And it's so compelling. So as humans, we start to get really identified with form and we just lose sight of the formlessness that has always been our nature and always will be our nature. in with your body see what's there we don't have to make sense of it it's not about naming it or labeling it but we are energy we can think we're bones and skin and identities and all of that i mean at the end of the day there's just energy here and sometimes that energy is very dense and sometimes it feels very free and open and everything in between and it's just pure wisdom to feel into that energy and see how it feels and and what it wants us to see or know or feel in that moment. Hello and welcome to Brand New Thought. I'm your host, Rasmik Sargassian, and today I'm beyond excited to welcome my very special guest, Dr. Amy Johnson, PhD, uh, world-renowned coach, psychologist, a trainer of coaches, a podcast host, a speaker, an author of many books. Dr. Johnson shares a groundbreaking understanding in terms of changing habits, in terms of dealing with anxiety and self-doubt that is based on insight instead of uh, willpower. And a lot of our listeners know that that's a, that's like a cross-cutting principle for this podcast, the effortlessness. And Dr. Johnson is a beloved figure well beyond the Three Principles community. She has been a featured expert on the Steve Harvey Show, uh, the Wall Street Magazine, Oprah.com, 
And uh, she's also the host of the Changeable podcast, one of my favorite podcasts. I can highly recommend it for anyone interested in mental health, self-realization, and a lot of other topics connected to this. And, and if this is not enough to prompt your curiosity, Dr. Johnson is also a trainer for coaches. In fact, my very early coaching education was with Dr. Johnson and her materials. So I'm so excited to welcome her on Brand New Thought. Amy, thank you so much for making time for this. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what prompted you to shift from a practice based on, I suppose, clinical psychology and how did the understanding of the three principles find its way to you? Yeah, well, I um, I initially did go down the path of clinical psychology um, just because that's all I knew existed. I knew I was super fascinated with why humans did what they did, how we work, and even bigger than that, like what what this human experience is all about, because it's kind of weird. <laughs> it's like we, you know, we're here on earth, like we have these feelings, where do they come from? We have these thoughts, where do they come from? We know we're super habitual creatures. We're running around doing a lot of the same stuff we did yesterday, even when it doesn't make any sense to us. You know, we we know like, I don't want to be doing this yet. Something feels like it's making me do this. Like it, the whole human experience is just strange when you really look at it. And I think I sensed, I know I sensed that from the time I was very, very young. I continued to sense that and, and just want to know like, what is going on here? So all I knew, you know, as a younger person to do was just go down the path of psychology. That's what I thought psychology did. They answered these questions. Well, as I went through my studies, I really enjoyed psychology, but I kind of saw, yeah, psychology doesn't really answer these questions. It doesn't, it doesn't tell you why, why we feel so strange in this foreign land on earth. And like, it doesn't give, tell, explain why we have this sense that there's, that things should be so much easier. It just kind of looks at problems and figures out how to solve those, what it calls problems anyway. So uh, again, I loved it. I still love psychology. Very interesting. But I, I kind of saw, yeah, that's not it. And then I, then I kind of realized, oh, there's other stuff out there. There's spirituality. I, I grew up religious and religion didn't do it for me either. So in, for me, I just kind of knew, okay, I don't think it's religion. I don't think it's psychology. What else is there? And then I saw, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that, that points in a different direction. So um, so that's what led me to go more in a direction of coaching. And, and so I was reading all kinds of spiritual things and kind of doing a little bit more of that type of coaching. Um, and then I guess uh, about five years into my coaching business, I came across the principles. Um, and then that, and that was a huge influence for me and just kind of, kind of in a sense, I guess, melding the spiritual and the psychological together, but really just looking more in that direction of the formless. So that's, that's what I like to do now. That's beautiful. Um, would, would you give your overview in a very simple language for anyone that might not be familiar with the three principles, although a lot of our listeners are, and what is their relevance? Why would anyone be interested if they're seeking positive change or any other form of transformation? Yeah, well, I can say what I heard when I came across this. And, and you know, I don't, I don't claim to be like a three principles expert, like in the three principles, there's lots of people who studied with Sid who could speak to that. But 
for me, just coming across this understanding, it, it, (laughs) the biggest thing was, it was like, wow, we really are totally healthy. Like, okay. I was going to say, okay. And that's not a big enough word for it. We are way more than okay. Everything is just as it should be. We have endless health where life is, things are constantly changing and being refreshed. And there's just this amazing freshness and newness and health and, and vitality and thriving that is who and what we are. And there's constant thinking happening. And, and really what happens in a super simplified way is we get really identified with the thinking. And we, and because it's a form, it's like compelling. It's about us. It's telling the story about me and my life and what I should do to be okay and all of that. And it's so compelling. So as humans, we start to get really identified with form and we just lose sight of the formlessness that has always been our nature and always will be our nature. So in a sense, I mean, that's how I say it today. I probably wouldn't have said that when I first came across the principles, but looking toward the principles, that's what started to open up for me. And that just made so much sense. And I remember, you know, at that time, I was still uh, kind of toward the end of, but still pretty much in an eating disorder. I still had some anxiety issues. And I just remember hearing that and thinking, oh my gosh, like that finally makes sense. I'm run around by this thinking in my head as if that's truth, as if that's who I am. Yet I also knew I have lots of moments when that thinking's not there and my habits weren't there. I, I was totally free when the thinking wasn't there. And that's so confusing, but but this understanding helped that make sense. I can relate to that, to that so much. Uh, because of my line of work, I, I constantly communicate with a lot of people that are working with multiple formats of change, you know, forms of meditation, different approaches to psychology. And I and it helps me grow as well. And I appreciate all, all of them. But I keep on coming to really appreciate the simplicity and the completeness of this understanding. And it's it's quite confusing to a lot of people, I think. And it's so easy to intellectualize it and create a concept out of it and we forget that that sense of peace or whatever it is that originally resonated with us so for people that kind of fall into that trap and they just now they have a concept about this and they're identified with that concept how how would you guide them out of that it's a great question and it totally happens. I think I think I mean obviously you know it does you see it yeah you felt it me too um Yeah, it's like we get a sense of something and then because our mind, it's just cool to see why that happens because it's very, it's very helpful to even see why that happens because the mind is constantly wanting to, to put something into concrete, like it wants to make something of something all the time, it wants something to hold on to. Um, because it's just a it's just a machine based on survival. And the more it knows, and the more it can hold on to the safer it thinks it is in a sense. So, so yes, we get this feel for this and then our mind's like, but what is it? And what are the principles? And what does this mean for me? And how do I use them? And now before we know it, we don't have that nice feeling anymore. It's not free. Now it's like a, we have these little shackles that are like the three principle shackles. And, and so, I mean, I think the biggest thing is to just notice, like you mentioned, even how we feel. Like if something, if we can explore something from a place of just curiosity and and openness and it sparks something 
it does not matter at all if our mind can understand it. In fact, I love when my mind can't understand something. I feel like, okay, there's I'm on to something here. I can't explain it. I don't even want to try to explain it. That's awesome. Like, that's what you're looking for. But that's so counter to what we're used to. We're so used to, you know, what is this and why does it help? And what can I tell my friends about it? So, so look for that feeling of just openness and resonance and something sparking and then notice when that shifts and notice and you'll hear, you know, you and I in our work, we hear it in other people all the time. Like, oh, well, I'm not supposed to meditate or, oh, the principles say blah, 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 blah. No, all of that now is just the mind trying to turn it into something. And we'll, and again, the person who's saying that will know because they'll feel it. They'll feel that now there's a rule. Now there's a right or wrong. Now there's something we think we know. And as soon as there's something we think we know, again, very human, very normal, but we want to be onto that. If we can be in this space of, I don't know, I'm just curious and I'm looking, I mean, formless, what even is that? No one knows. It's unknowable. So we want to kind of just be in that really dumb place, I call it, of, I have no clue what a thought is made of, what a feeling's made of, where they come from, who I am. Ironically, that sounds so crazy, but that's where amazing stuff starts opening up. That's beautiful. I like the dumb place reference, the wisdom. Yeah, <laughs> I, wisdom. I, tend to, <laughs> I tend to intellectualize things way too much. And I just keep on noticing in retrospect that I'm essentially just getting on my way instead of and as soon as I notice that, I'm back. Uh, so I have so many questions I want to ask you. But one, let's begin with this. In the three principles community, we speak about the principle of thought. And it, we know that it doesn't really matter how you describe it. It's, you know, seeing the essence of it. People say you feel the resonance of your thinking or we come to appreciate that an external reality or a form of external reality doesn't have a feeling attached to it and we are just using our thoughts like a projector but I'm, I would be very curious to hear your explanation of this principle specifically and how and its relevance yeah um it's such a <laughs> thought is so big and and there's so many it's it's also so simple but it's so big and there's a lot of um facets to it in a sense that there's the thinking that we're familiar with which tends to be very chatty and kind of narrative thinking like the like every one of us can relate to sort of a voice in our head or like a tape running that maybe is like rehearsing what we're going to do later that day or thinking back to what happened earlier and what that person thinks of us or um or we look in the mirror and we hear a voice that says uh or oh or what you know like whatever we we know that sort of voice narrative quality and that is thought and that's and that's kind of what we tend to think of with thought but but i think there's also so much bigger like like you mentioned like you alluded to thought is like we open our eyes and and nothing is anything <laughs> until thought comes in and tells us what it is. So it's also thought that has me looking at this box that I call a computer because thought tells me it's called a computer. 
and talking to you rather than turning this way and talking to what my mind says is the wall. Like there's so much thought in everything. There's thought, thought coloring how we both feel in this moment and how we're going to feel in the next moment. So there's a lot of kind of layers of it in a sense. Um, but I think that, yeah, like seeing it's kind of, it's kind of what colors and determines what we're seeing is really huge. And, and if people are more familiar with sort of that narrative thought, that's a great place to start because we do, we've been hearing that forever. Um, we, we can kind of spot that as thought and even just starting there to say, oh, that's a commentary happening in my head, but that isn't the truth of life. And, and shockingly, it's not even really necessary. Like, it's great that we do have thought. It's, it's great to have the power of thought for when we need to use it. But that commentary is not helping us. It's not necessary. It's not who we are. By and large, like 99% of what it says, we don't need it. We can function in life perfectly without a running commentary. And that's good to know, too. And I think that's kind of shocking sometimes for people because we think, no, that's me. And it's telling me my opinions and when I'm hungry and what I need to do later. You don't need that. We don't need that. We 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 will just move toward food when we're hungry and we'll do what occurs to us to do when there's stuff to do. So I think it's big to see that, yes, thought is kind of everywhere and in, in all kinds of ways, but especially that chatty stuff, it's not helping us and guiding us the way that we've come to think that it is. That That's so true. I'll, I can give you my own example. I think before coming to appreciate any of this, and this may be exaggerating, but I probably thought that the mind was kind of a mechanical tool and like a bicycle. So if I didn't go on and try to figure out the content of my thinking, then essentially nothing would happen. And it was so ironic because I actually was getting my best ideas and or more to find that space from the most inspired action comes when that kind of pause. So how is it that this is actually true and this is always going on and we totally miss this fact? Yeah. Miss the fact that we don't need to do miss, anything with it. Yeah. Miss the fact that it is actually possible to be connected with a deeper intelligence. People may call it with different names given their analytical paradigm, but essentially go beyond thought. Even the possibility to function and be effective and healthy without uh, excessive thought. Yes. I think thought is just it's form. So it's loud. It's chatty. It's like the loudest thing in the room, you know, and probably most importantly, the, this, we can call it ego. If we want this type of thought we're talking about the ego, it kind of has this way of, of making itself front and center because it's set. It talks about me and my, and I, and it has since we were two years old. Now, before we were two, you know, give or take, it didn't so much. Little babies, are, they have thought show up, but they're not wedded to it. They're not living by it at all. They don't think they're living by it. They're just like, oh, there's that and here's this. But there's, but it also didn't have that me and I and my quality to it. I think that's the ego's best trick is it has been talking in first person like as if it is us. It's kind of taken us over in a sense. I don't mean that in a scary way, but it's shaped its voice to have us believe that that's our voice. That's crazy. <laughs> like that's crazy to see. And it's been doing that again for almost our entire lives. 
So I think that's why we get so, or part of it anyway, you know, why we get so sucked into that and we identify with it as us and we listen to it so much. But I love, um, you know, thinking of thought as just another of the senses. And many people, until recent history, many people, that's how it was thought of and talked about in many parts of the world and many traditions. There's sight and smell and touch and the other physical senses and there's thought. And isn't that cool to think about that? Like, we don't walk around and think I am what I smell. You know, smell is just a sense. It's just content, information, data. Thought is the exact same, but but we don't view it that way. And And like you mentioned, to start to just be open to like, hey, what if we've never needed all that thought? It's been running and we've been referring to it and thinking that it's informing things and thinking that we need it. But what if even that's a misunderstanding? It's never actually been doing so much for us. We we get lived again by hunches and wisdom and just something deeper that's living us, that's making decisions, that's moving us in directions. And the commentary is just extra, but we've been thinking that's that's the key. That's beautiful. And I and I relate to the fact that this is actually nothing really new, even some of the oldest traditions, like a, a recent example I became familiar with was the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, which is essentially the source of all yoga. And one of these sutras essentially speaks about the fact that even the most enlightened intellect is different from what we can call wisdom or, or transcendence. So people throughout the ages had some sort of a recognition of this fact, but for whatever reason, ego or identification with intellect uh, took over. You mentioned something very interesting in one of your recent um, episodes of Changeable, which was, I think it was, okay, so we recognize feelings as a guide, as, as an indicator about thought, and let's definitely speak more about this. But nevertheless, we, for whatever reason, we keep on leaning to this obsessive negative thoughts, even if they feel so disturbing. And even if perhaps on an intellectual level, we recognize that they're there to wake us up. And you did a beautiful job uh, kind of explaining why this is happening. I'd, I'd love for you to address this for our audience as well. Yeah. So, um, so why we have such a slant toward the negative? Yeah. Yeah. Well, even if we recognize that feeling is there as some sort of an indicator, um, we still go on with it. We don't really use that interpret that information to just turn, turn the other way around. It's like screaming loudly and we lean more into that versus taking us back from it. Yeah. I just, it's so interesting because it just feels like we've just, we just have it turned around, you know, like it's just, and they talk about this in the principles a lot, just a simple misunderstanding about the, about the role of all of this. And I think it, it's very ironic though, because it is like, we have it completely backward in that. Yes. Like stuff gets our attention. The thoughts that tend to be the most repetitive and the most painful are the ones that, because we're identified with it, the ones that we identify with more. We think, and I hear this, I'm sure you do too, hear people say this all the time. Well, well, I've been thinking this for 30 years. I think it every day, all day. It has to be true. <laughs> but to flip that around and be like, wait a minute, just because something has been repeated 
every day for off and on throughout the day for 30 years. Like if it's so true, why is it repeating itself all the time? Like the logic in that breaks down, but it's not logical. It's how it feels. And it's, we're so identified with it that it, you know, logic doesn't really have a role until we bring it in. It just feels, feels like us just feels like me. And then, yeah, to your point about feeling, it's like, just have that feeling feedback completely backward. The more something grips us, the more we we feel like this is real and it's true and I need to make it go away. And the complete opposite is what it's showing us. The gripping is showing us, A, it's not who we truly are. That's why we're getting this very vivid feedback, this very alive feedback. It's not who we are. It's not the truth of things. And the last thing we want to do is try to run around and do something to make it go away. It's here to get our attention. Like it wants to be seen and heard and felt. And it's so crazy. I mean, this is something I just am so into in the last couple of years. When feeling shows up, when we lean into that and we welcome it, any feeling, anything at all, it's like a superpower that I feel like not many people know about. There's I just yesterday, I mean, I do this every day in some way, but yesterday I was talking with someone and really felt into this feeling of insecurity that that was showing up in me of not good enough and seeing my mind do all this stuff to try to bolster it. Like if I can just get this right or present myself this way or whatever, all the little tricks that the mind comes up with to try to make this feeling go away. And to just flip that and to, and and to be like, you know what? I just, I don't feel good enough. I feel insecure. That feeling's here. Can I just let this feeling be here? And I just sat in that for a few minutes. I'm like, all right, insecurity, come on in. And it starts to feel like this little child, innocent. It's just a feeling. And it just wants to be acknowledged. And truly, it did not take long. And I've been practicing this for a while, so maybe that helps. But it's like just letting that insecurity, like, okay, come on. And I see what's going on here. I'm talking like a matter of seconds. And suddenly it felt good. It felt so good because it's true. It's true that there was insecurity there. And it feels amazing for us to welcome what's showing up and not resist, even when it's insecurity or or worse, you know, whatever, it, whatever the feeling might be. You can do this with anxiety or shame or grief. The fact of the matter is whatever's there is there and, and acknowledging that and feeling it feels so good, but, but we're so used to just saying, oh no, I don't want that. And it's not even us saying that our mind is just trying to keep us, our mind wants to stay primary and it wants to keep us away from feeling. So the mind says, no, no, don't go there. Don't go there. And then we go through life saying, oh, anxiety is really bad. Grief is really bad. Shame is really bad. No, they really aren't. <laughs> it's just the, the pushing them away is what's really bad. So I kind of went off on a little tangent there, but I, I hope that answered oh, your I, question. I love that. This is going to become an excerpt. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I relate to that so much. And I feel like what gets us confused and what persuades us almost to spend more time with us is we but you said okay i feel insecurity i feel it there's almost this buddhist approach which feel the feeling and let go of the story i mm -hmm. think sometimes we connect that feeling to a specific 
circumstance or uh, a specific thought or a story, which may not even be true. And we feel like we don't want to feel the feeling because then we have to keep on thinking about it. Whereas what you pointed to almost seems like separating the feeling as a, as a thing of its own and really acknowledging that. Yeah, I love that. I think that's really important. And I think it's really true that there's like the energy of it, the sensations of it, the feeling of it. And then there's the mind just trying to help it make sense. And by the mind, the mind trying to help it make sense, yes, it brings in memories and stories and judgment about it and all of that. And I think you're totally right. Like that, even that, when we welcome that, even when we welcome the mind stories and we let those be there, they soften and they're not as bad as as we think they are. But there is a, if in a sense, I mean, there's not really separation in anything, but in the sense that we're talking, yeah, you can kind of sense them as separate. There's this sensation and then there's those stories and i think that's really valuable to kind of see it that way beautiful with this kind of just prompts another question in a lot of traditions or maybe even modern approaches to mental health there's this idea of stress being attached to the body so it's almost like oh transcend the thought form and then see where it is in your body and then that kind of goes away. And I feel like maybe the three principles understanding sometimes gets criticized mostly from this perspective. Like what about the body? Uh, so I'm, I'm really curious, given also your clinical psychology background, how does this understanding with, um, with modern approaches to transcending or finding solutions to mental health problems based on, let's say, brain coherence or anything that has to do with the brain and the body and not the mind being a, let's call it a spiritual entity or whatever. Yeah, I don't, again, I don't know what the three principles kind of answer is, but but what occurs to me around it um, is the body is just the, I just heard someone, I had a speaker in the little school of the change on Monday and he was saying, how did he say it? He said like, the body is this thing that emotion, they say it. It's something like emotion and thought come up and basically project all their stuff onto the body. So yeah. the body is like, and he said it so much better. I have to look that up. But the, but it's like the body is like the thing that that like shows us where emotion and thought are. But the, but the body is where it's felt, and that's where you know that's like where the feedback's coming from. Yes. And obviously, there's no real separation really between mind, body, and thought, and all of that anyway. But. But I love that explanation because it because it does it brings it more together. It's like, oh yeah, of course. Like we talk about thought, we talk about emotion. We don't even know what those are. Where are they and what are they? All we even know about thought and emotion really is that something's felt in the body or that something is sensed, I guess, in a in a sensory way. Otherwise, what even are thought and emotion? So so weird to really look at it at that level. But so anyway, I I don't know if that speaks to it but i feel like the body is like it's all connected it's all one and the body is usually where we can go right in the easiest and and also kind of what you were just saying about thought and feeling like emotion and the story being a little bit separate super valuable to just be in the body because so much is getting felt and seen in that way and then we don't have to try to spin around in sticky thought, which is kind of circular anyway. You know, if we can just stick with what we feel, it tends to be kind of simpler. 
That's beautiful. What what brings with that um, reminds me before encountering this understanding. I I have been meditating a lot. I've used a lot of techniques, and all of them work to a certain degree. Whether it was uh, somehow taking a step step back so that I could notice thought or notice what it was doing, and what was groundbreaking with this was that well, wait a minute, I don't have to practice mindfulness because just like with the body, my feeling is just going to show it show itself to me anyways. Yes, and that uh, that felt uh, oh, I don't. There's so much I don't have to do, and nevertheless, I continue using a lot of techniques and you mentioned techniques. So I'm really curious if you could speak about techniques versus understanding, because this has become a somewhat buzz topic. And there, uh, there, as you said, in the, in some communities, it's almost like, Oh, if you have the understanding, you shouldn't use any techniques or anything like that. But that feels yeah. like a, a bit of an excessive approach. I'm really curious how you think about all of this. I think that falls in the category of like you asked about earlier of like where some looking in a direction is helpful, but then the mind comes in and then puts a bunch of form around it and makes a bunch of rules. Like, I think it's crazy to say that we shouldn't, well, we shouldn't do anything really <laughs> like do whatever you want and you don't have to do anything. No, nobody has to do anything. None of us have to do a thing really, you know? Um, so so given that, do whatever feels right, do whatever you like. And and if yes, if you meditate or you say a mantra or whatever, and then that becomes and you start thinking this meditation is the key to my happiness, well, you're going to feel that. That doesn't feel good to have anything, whether it's a person in our life or a job or money or meditation. If that looks like the thing we need to be okay, if we're halfway aware and of the body, especially like you said, we're going to feel that there's a shackle. So then you notice that there's a shackle and you and you realize okay, it's not actually about meditation, but but that's part of life is we we do things and we try things and we do get attached and then we get feedback and you know that's all part of it. So um I think, you know, I think understanding is obviously massive. It it trumps a specific technique in a specific moment. But it's not so simple to say, oh, just because the, what does that even mean? How do we even get an understanding? You're su we're supposed to just go listen to people talk. Like, is that really the way understanding happens? Maybe understanding happens through meditation. <laughs> Maybe it happens through energy work. Like, you know, you can't you can't pick it apart, I guess, in that way. So it is about the understanding, you know, we, you know, people who meditate and then they leave meditation and they go off and they're a mess in their daily life. So you want to integrate what you're seeing in your techniques with your life. And that's, I guess, what the ultimate understanding is, is when it is just integrated. Um, but how that happens, who cares and who knows, and it's going to be different for everyone. That's beautiful. And that's, to me, that's almost like a testimony of the power of thought, because even something as helpful of as whatever, I came across the three principles, so I tried this meditation technique, if I now create a concept that my well being is uh, absolutely dependent on some for somehow practicing it or remembering it, even the yeah. most helpful things or concepts about truth, just get get on our way. So it's absolutely important to be open minded. And both allow yourself to use a tool if you feel like doing it, but also not condition yourself and your inner well-being to as if it's dependent on any of these things. 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and we probably will, (laughs) you know, like we will along the way and that's totally fine. And then that's why it's so valuable too, to kind of know what that feedback is showing us. Beautiful. Well, Amy, a lot of my listeners are, well, they're all over the world, but a lot of them are from Armenia, Eastern Europe, where there's a lot of chaos and upheaval happening in our region. We, We have seen so many wars, there's constant instability and I think sometimes people may feel like uh, these types of conversations or certain topics are, I don't know, for the West or anything like that. While for me and a lot of people, it, in some cases, it was the other way around. Like, for example, I whatever the three principles are, I came to see their truth because of this. Because in my mind, I said, well, if if my feeling is independent of where I am, and it's all thought, then it would have to be true at any circumstance, including the worst moments of my life when there's an armed conflict happening. So do you think that uncertainty and almost like excessive uncertainty can almost be a, a deeper possibility or an invitation for spiritual change? Totally. I think any kind of suffering is our portal. Like That's our way in. That's our way in. And it doesn't have to be. I don't, I don't want to make that a rule either. Yes. You know, for sure, people go walk outside and are in bliss and that bliss takes them through to formlessness or to, for a bigger experience of that. It can happen anyway, but 100% or very, very often it's that friction. It's that suffering that gets to kind of wake us up. And it's it's like you said, it's like, wow, if this is true here, even here, if I can see, and so many people naturally all over the world have noticed this in their lives. If I can, if I can, you know, feel this moment of peace right after my child has died, or when there's a war outside, or when this has happened, or that has happened, what does that mean about what this, where this peace is really coming from? And, you know, just, I don't know, I just love how life has done that for people all over in any circumstance, but so for sure, um, so understandable to see how how it might look like. No, my circumstances are tougher, so I have more to work through, or it's going to be harder to see here, or whatever. But just hold that really loosely. Like, no question, the circumstances may be tougher, but if if that can be true, and then our ability to wake up to our real nature is independent of that you know, then, then there's no limitation. Then yes, some people live in much tougher circumstances than others, no question, but none of that touches our ability. And in fact, sometimes the tough circumstances are what, what kind of allows the awakening to happen. That's beautiful. And, you know, there's this Buddhist idea, obviously that suffering creates grace or anything like that, which, and you're, it often gets misinterpreted like, Oh, I have to suffer to wake up or, it, you, I, I I love what you just pointed to over there, and well, you sh- you share in in a lot of your pieces. You speak about willpower versus insight, and we can sp- speak about why willpower doesn't work. But I'm I want to ask you, what do you think are the variables for having an insight about our nature? I mean, even is there even such a thing? Because one of my I asked this one of my one of my guests, I think Christine Heath, and she said. Well, I'll tell you what wants make it more likely to have an insight. It's desiring to have an insight. But nevertheless, yeah. I want to ask you as well, because you've worked with so many people, 
And we say that what are the variables that make it more likely that we have these deeper realizations that go beyond our ability to conceptualize things? Yeah, it's a great question. And I like Christine's answer. I really do. I I agree. I think that a genuine curiosity, a genuine desire, sometimes desire is a little tricky because we just want to get out of a feeling, you know, which doesn't doesn't make, mean we're not going to have an insight. But um, sometimes you can kind of sense, you know, sometimes it's very personal and it's like, I need this to get me somewhere else. And that can get in the way a little bit, maybe. But when there's just um, a genuine curiosity about what else is there, what else is there besides how things look and feel right now, or where is this coming from? What is this experience made of? I love those kinds of questions. And there's a lot of people that just have that genuine curiosity. And that I think that's a, a huge help. Um, so that kind of is similar to, yeah, the desire and the intention. but. Um, I also think like a ability and a willingness to not know, like we were talking earlier, it's really uh, our, what we think we know that gets in the way. And even what we, if we drill that down even further, thinking we know stuff, thinking we know how things work or whatever, I think maybe I'm just speaking this out now. I don't know for sure, but I think, I think maybe what's beneath that even is fear. We we want to know because we're afraid. We want some certainty. We want, you know, it's so we so often you hear people say, like, I just want to know what the answer is. I don't even care if it's good or bad. Like, I want to know, did I get the job? Did I not get the job? Either way, just tell me because I can't handle the uncertainty. Well, that's just a feeling we don't like. It's just energy that our mind is saying, don't like this feeling. So, so if we can, you know, like the the willingness to not know and to be in any feeling is huge. And that kind of speaks back to your question about the tough circumstances too. It's like, there's such an opportunity because I think that is our way. It's not a great way to say it, but like our way through to, to what's true beyond this, this thought reality is feeling into anything that's showing up as it's showing up, our willingness to say, yes, I'll feel this. I'll feel that. That's kind of my personal mantra, like bring it on. There's nothing I won't feel. Now, even as I say that, sometimes I get my mind is like, are you sure? (laughs) Don't test me. Like, are you sure? But like, ultimately, yeah, there's nothing I won't feel. If it's going to, if it's here to wake me up if it's what's showing up i don't want to reject anything it's nothing i won't feel so so bring it on and sometimes that kind of now again it doesn't mean you're jinxing life and now you're going to get all kinds of feeling but it's an openness it's a willingness to feel anything and know the truth know what's behind it i think it's pretty huge you're going to have you you can't genuinely have that that um slant in life and not have some insights that's very powerful. And and I agree. And I, I, at the risk of knowing that this would be misinterpreted, I think that is the ultimate equalizer. Um, because the only things that we can rely on are just what's always there, what's always true, because circumstances, or I don't know, you're in this part of the world, in that other part of the world, and surely you're there, you're filling it with your physical sensations. Or, but then you see that it's thought informing that as well. But 
there's definitely truth to this concept that sometimes the greater the suffering, the greater the possibility to wake up to this truth even more radically, even more. Because whenever you hear a story of awakening, even your story, like this is one of the things I appreciate most about you. You're so vulnerable. You share that you actually had anxiety and you were dealing with things for a long time. And you were told that you're probably going to need to carry this for the rest. So maybe if not for that, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be sharing this understanding. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I'm, I don't know for sure how all that works, but I, it does feel like that way for sure. Like I'm very grateful for that because yeah, I do think we kind of, we look at other people who seem to have it so easy and they just kind of bop through life and great. There's no better or worse to any of that, but where's their impetus to like, where's their motivation to see what's behind the curtain? You know, sometimes we need that suffering and that's what forces us to to see something. And, and again, there's no shame in like just having a really nice, easy life <laughs> going through things that way and not being curious about this stuff. I think that's the path for many people. Um, but for those of us who have suffered quite a bit or who have this curiosity, it's awesome to see that the challenges can pull us through. Thank you. That's that's a very hopeful message. Uh, since you have worked for a long time with habit, the change of habits and positive transformations in that context, I want to ask you, what do you think is the most misunderstood thing about changing habits? Uh, such a good question. I think um, probably just the most widely misunderstood is that it's uh, like like we're doing the wrong things. The focus is almost always on behavior, if not behavior, even on thought, even when people are a little more savvy, they might realize, okay, it's not about just doing differently. I have to think differently, but that's the same thing (laughs) because we don't, we're not in charge of our thoughts either. You know, they want to go out and change their behavior. And then they're like, okay, maybe I should go change my thoughts instead. But I, I honestly see that as exactly the same because I don't, we don't make this stuff happen. We don't show, we don't produce it. Um, we have no real ownership of it. So that something like that, like I need to do something now, it kind of like we're saying in a sense that that feeling coming through of like this, I know there's a better way. I know something else is possible. That's amazing. Like, that's great. That's when someone has that, because now they're curious and they're open to being wrong about being wrong. But, you know, like, saying, I don't know. I don't know what I need. They're in a place where they're really poised to to maybe see some new things. So that as a feeling is great, but it's the jumping into action, thinking we need to just do different behaviors or think different thoughts that kind of take us down the wrong path, I think. Beautiful. That's great. How about, and I'm sure you hear this all the time, uh, if let's say we're speaking about something chemical, let's say it tobacco addiction, nicotine addiction, or cannabis or anything that releases a lot of serotonin. I'm sure a lot of people feel like they're at least partially, they partially continue to be in that trap because of that physical uh, reasons. So what's, what's your take on that? Yeah, well, well, like we were talking about earlier, I mean, physical isn't separate from mental, emotional, spiritual, any of it. It's all one. It's all one. So, um, so yes, that for sure, the, the physical feeling might be stronger for someone where, when their brain is giving a physical dependency kind of 
vibe versus when, when it isn't maybe, but also maybe not, I don't know for sure. Um, it's going to vary moment to moment. So, but either way, what it comes down to is like, can you, it sounds so big as I say it sometimes, but like, can you just be with what's showing up? Can you see that you are bigger than any feeling? And I don't care if it's a heroin withdrawal or, you know, an intrusive thought, it's still a feeling. We're still dealing with, can you feel this feeling? Can you see feeling for what it is? Can you lean into this? Can you see that you are not this, that it is, you are bigger than this feeling and you're, and we are designed to be able to feel anything that comes our way, anything. So I, that's not easy. You know, it's very simple. It's not easy because everything in our psychology has said, no, 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 I do not want this feeling. So I'm not at all suggesting it's easy, but it is the equalizer. It is the equal playing field. It does show us that no matter what, it's the same thing. It's always coming back to, can you feel what's here? Can you lean into what's arising? Little by little, best you can. Not, can you sit out this urge and definitely don't do your habit? Maybe you do do your habit, but can you lean into the feeling for two seconds? And maybe tomorrow it's five seconds. And then maybe a month from now, you're sitting through an urge, who knows? But just starting where we are with being with what's showing up, it, that across the board, that's the only thing there ever is to do. And then the mind comes in, of course, and says, no, it's different for me. It's different for this habit. And I can tell you, I've heard every person from with every background you can imagine, with every habit you can imagine, make a really sol solid persuasive case for why theirs is different. Like every, you know, people will say, well, no anxiety is different. No food things are different because you have to eat. No smoking's different. Everyone will make a case for how they wish they had someone else's habit because it's easier for them. <laughs> and everybody's making this case. So it cannot be the truth. That's beautiful. And it's so effortless. It's gentle. And there's great power in that. And for whatever reason, we, we, I think we generally speaking don't really appreciate that sometimes the smaller and the simpler, the more powerful. And it's the same thing with understanding and appreciating or just feeling versus more of an aggressive approach. Why, why do you think in terms of personal development or psychology, this, this approach is, although they seem to be getting more and more popularity, but for whatever reason, they haven't been completely embraced. What, what gets in the way of this? Um, a mind wanting to wanting to feel in control. <laughs> it's very attractive for a mind to say, I'm just going to do these five steps, or I'm just going to visualize what I want and get everything's going to come my way or whatever it is that a mind, a mind wants to grab onto something it can do. A mind does not want to hear, no, everything you're looking for is on the other side of surrender. That's like the worst news ever to a mind because now a mind's like, well, what do I do here? <laughs> you don't do anything. <laughs> what we're pointing to is beyond you, you know? So I think that's all it is. But the beauty in that is that's all it is. The beauty in that is at, and this is kind of how we started this conversation too, like as we feel into to the fact that there is this, I mean, words can't even describe it, this massive, like what we are is, is just pure wisdom, peace, health, like it's always here. 
it's only ever masked by a mind jumping around saying, listen to me, do something else. So like, as we kind of sense into that quiet or whatever we want to call it, that peace beyond the mind, it just starts to light up. And then it becomes obvious like, oh, that's where I want to look. Not all this mind stuff, but but again, kind of to the technique thing, it's not really a technique, but we have to do that. We can't just hear it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's not probably not true either. I'm sure people just hear about it and it happens. But I think it's really helpful to like actually look there, actually get quiet and feel into that and notice your mind and, you know, actually do it. Because I know for me, I spent years way too long just learning about it thinking about it, intellectualizing it, even talking about it. And and that's helpful in some ways. It's wonderful, but it's not the same as actually getting quiet and feeling that space. Wow. That that hit it for me for whatever reason. It just <laughs> got a really beautiful feel. And I'm and I'm and I'm gonna have to re-listen to this part of all of it, of course. Um okay, maybe a few more questions. What do you there are so-called, let's say, spiritual pitfalls that I think so many people fall into. So if, if I were to just ask you to name the most three common spiritual pitfalls that you've come across, what do you think they are? Mm, um, well, I think there's definitely, a, I don't know if you want to call it bypassing, but again, it's kind of the same thing we've been talking about. It's like, there's a way that our our mind wants to overlook what's fresh and alive here because it doesn't seem good enough or important enough. And our mind wants to go out and make a plan about what we're going to do instead. <laughs> like, I don't need to sit with this feeling. Let me go read a three principles book. No, be like life is handing you on a silver platter. Everything you need to awaken, everything you need to be at peace is literally here in your experience right this second. It's not in a book you're going to read next week. It never. It's not in anything you're going to listen to. So I think that's huge. That might be all three of them. <laughs> like just to be with what's here, you know, and 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 again, kind of notice the mind, want to talk about, oh, it's just thought or let me see what so-and-so says about it. And there's a place for all of that. That's great if we're just intellectually curious and it's great to have that knowledge if we're interested in it, but it's not the same as just being with what's here. And I call, would call that a pitfall. So again, it's fine. I, I mean, I read a ton of books, listen to stuff, wonderful. But um, I think it falls in the pitfall, pitfall category only because we can get really caught up doing that. And then we think this isn't working for me. And, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that maybe have felt that way, right? Like, oh, like this sounds great. Everybody else gets impacted by the principles, but it doesn't work for me or I haven't seen it. Almost always that's because we're overlooking this, like what's right here in front of us. We're thinking about it too much. Beautiful. That's very beautiful and very hopeful. I'm sure my audience is going to appreciate it. I'm also very curious to learn about what's happening right with your projects. I mean, tell us a little bit about the little school of big change or anything else that's current. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. For me, uh, I've been running the Little School Big Change for six years now. Um, I love it. I run it twice a year. 
as a live training, um, as a live course. It's also a self-study. There's a self-study version. So people can get the, the videos and, and go through those at any time. So that kind of is my baby and has been. And I, and, and I also, as you mentioned, train coaches. Um, and I love doing that too. Um, so yeah, so those things are coming up. I'm also just kind of at a place where I'm just kind of listening and curious. And I feel like something new is coming and maybe some of the old things are going to fall away, but I don't know yet. So I'm just really in this, I don't know place with, with, you know, all of that myself, but I can say I'm, I am pretty certain. I, I am certain that uh, the little school of big change is going to run again this coming fall. So that's the next thing I have coming up. Beautiful. And I'll make sure to include a link to your website so that anyone interested can get in touch with you. Amy, is there any other question that you kind of wish I had asked? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I'm going <laughs> to ask my, <laughs> my podcast guest that, that one more often. Um, honestly, I think, no, oh, I think this was so good. I think your questions were excellent. And I love where this conversation went. It went to what I feel is just so simple and so important, which is just checking in and being with what is here. And I do love that you brought up the body and that we could talk about that a little bit. And I, I just, maybe that's a good thing to mention, like just check in with your body, see what's there with it's, we don't have to make sense of it. It's not about naming it or labeling it, but we are energy. We can think we're bones and skin and identities and all of that. I mean, at the end of the day, there's just energy here. And sometimes that energy is very dense and sometimes it feels very free and open and everything in between. And it's just pure like wisdom to feel into that energy and see how it feels and, and what it wants us to see or know or feel in that moment. So, yeah, I love that we talked about all that. So, no, I don't, I don't think you missed anything. I think it was great. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And last question, although this answer could be an answer to this question as well, but if you could speak to that the version of Amy that was dealing with all the anxieties that uh, you, you write about it on your website and speak about it in your books, and essentially you, you said that a lot of people that you worked with were telling you there's no way to permanently get over them. You'll just have to manage it somehow. So if you could speak to that version of Amy, what would you tell her? Well, I think she ended up okay. So I would just tell her, like, stay curious, stay open and stay listening to you. Because I knew even then that something's not right about that. There's no way I I'm going to have to live with this forever. So, but I, but I didn't realize that I, that I could trust myself in that so much. You know what I mean? And I think that's true for everyone. We do have a sense of what's right for us and what we know. And it does not matter what any expert tells us or what any book says, listen to you and stay curious and stay open to what feels right to you. Beautiful. Thank you so much. This was a truly really a heartwarming conversation. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you for listening. If this podcast resonated with you, make sure to subscribe and share it with others who may find it helpful. And if you're interested in working together and taking this understanding to a more practical level so that it turns into a very tangible and measurable change in your life, then you can consider working with me one-on-one. -on -one. Go to Brand New Thought and just reach out. I'd, I'd be curious to 
hear about your insights, if there was something specific that resonated with you, or maybe you have some questions that you'd like me to ask my next guests. This is Brand New Thought, and I'm Razmik Sargassian, wishing you a lovely day ahead. Goodbye. If you're curious to see what could shift for you in just two weeks, please join me and my change coaches for a special two-week course called 14 Days of Change. Each day for 14 days, you'll receive a short audio lesson that points you toward getting out of your own way. These 14 pointers are the essence of what I've seen to be most helpful to aid you in stepping into a brand new way of seeing who you are and how the world around you is your own projection. We'll also have four group coaching calls during the 14 days of change, one every few days so that you can ask questions and get as much personal support as you need. 14 days of change begins August 14th. Go to dramajohnson.com slash 14 days to register.